0: Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. This week's story combines two horror genres into one epic tale. Follow a single father who just wants to keep his daughter happy, and most importantly, safe, when the news of a serial killer hits his small town. But, as the hunt to track down the killer heats up, he realizes there may be more to his sweet little girl than he thought. Written by Reddit user bince 82 who has been a friend to the podcast in the past, I happily present The Mean Moon Man. My five-year-old daughter, Clara, reminds me of my grandmother, Lanona, who was, most certainly, a witch. Strange things would inexplicably happen around La Entire shelves in supermarkets would unhinge and crash jars to the floor, and people around her would occasionally slip like in the cartoons, their legs straight up in the air as if tackled by an invisible linebacker. Anytime something strange like that would happen... La Nona would look at us and laugh softly with her raspy breath. <laughs> kind of like Santa, but with a soft Italian O and barely audible, breathy H. And like any other Italian grandmother, she cooked throughout the day, hunched over her stock or stew or braise, breathing in vapors, and adding pinches and dashes from her unlabeled spice rack. Wild rabbits were not safe from her, and some said even the squirrels and chipmunks would wind up in her stews. When we had company, Lanona would announce the dishes halfway through the meal, and she would relish as the Americans' faces turned and grimaced at the stuffed pigeon, braised rabbit, cow tongue, and cow brain. But she did it that way really to entertain herself. We would catch her sometimes, scratching her back with a wooden cooking spoon, and she'd laugh. <laughs> it adds flavor, and it protects. She would never elaborate beyond that. So as I said, my daughter Clara reminded me of Lenona. Starting at age three, small toys would fall off the shelf, or a fresh pyramid of stacked oranges would collapse and jumble through the aisles like race cars, and customers would fumble through the mess, slipping like in the cartoons, and Clara would just smile and do a little laugh under her breath, just like Nanona. (laughs) Hmm, hmm, hmm. She would say it in a sing-song, preschool sort of way, and if I were to shoot her a glance throughout any of this, she would follow up with her way-too-loud toddler voice. It wasn't me! One time, when she was four, we lost track of Clara at the Lego store in the mall. After several panicked moments, we had the whole store staff and mall security involved, and... Just as we were about to call the police to report a child kidnapping, I felt a tug at my pant leg. "'I was here the whole time, just invisible,' she announced triumphantly. The mall cops, the store staff, and the mall pedestrians that had joined in on the search were collectively shocked at how she had snuck up on all of us. "'Where did you go?' I remember crying, still terrified, and shaking with adrenaline. (laughs) Hmm, 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 she had responded. The head of mall security, having been searching with me for most of the time, was so perplexed that he subsequently reviewed the video feeds and for the life of him could not find a single trace of Clara from her disappearance up until she reappeared. He had called me with a grave tone, explaining his findings. I had nothing more to offer other than half-joking that some say my family has a line of witches. He turned even more serious and said he had a Hessian great-aunt who the town believed was a witch and that I shouldn't joke about such things. La Nona passed away at age 90, peacefully in her sleep. A whole flock of birds had gathered in front of the house, and as the ambulance wheeled her out the front door, the birds erupted in song, creating a pandemonium that took 20 minutes to dissipate, and the block was talking about the avian gathering for months after. The story would be retold any time Lanona came up in conversation, which was whenever something strange occurred in the town. When they buried Lanona. The priest fell into a tongue-tie throughout the eulogy. He later stated it felt like all the words were coming to him, thick and jumbled, like jello. And the mechanism that lowered the coffin into the grave failed, leaving Lenona above the ground throughout the night after mortuary technicians were unable to resolve the jam. Local legends developed that some had seen Lenona wandering the streets that night, chuckling, as she shambled by, but I never believed any part of it, and firmly believe she is at peace within the earth. I was washing dishes after dinner, while Clara ate strawberries in front of the television in the family room. The cartoons were rolling, but at some point, it transitioned to the evening news, and I didn't think much of it especially when the opening segment was on dog and cat ownership tips, and we had been considering getting a cat. I heard Clara yell out, Aww, I want that one. No, that one, throughout the segment, and I chuckled to myself. Normally, I would ask if she wanted to go to the park really quick before bath time, but the new curfew had mucked up that idea. It was, after all, a full moon. We had just moved to a new two-story townhouse, with the kitchen and family room on the first floor, and bedrooms on the second. We were right across the street from the town's new sports complex that boasted three fields – soccer, football, and baseball, each outfitted with modern scoreboards and bleachers with an announcer's room. They even had a full playground for toddlers and older kids, a dog park for both small and large dogs, and even a snack shack where Clara always begged me for fries or a corn dog while we watched the games. Daddy, can I watch the games from my room tonight? Sorry, honey. The games were canceled tonight. Maybe tomorrow's games. It was true. We did have a view of all three fields, and at night, when they were lit up, we could see all the action from the window. It was like our own box seats, and I would sometimes make popcorn, or bring up some candy. And tomorrow morning, we can go to the forest park, she added. Sure thing. As long as you get ready for school early enough. The forest park was the park we used to go to before the new complex. It was a five-minute walk through a forest path that was bordered by fenced-in backyards and eventually opened up into a large clearing surrounded by trees with various paths emptying into suburban streets. The news suddenly jarred to a new development in the full-moon serial killer murders, and I frantically searched for the remote. Another full moon tonight, and yet another victim claimed by the full moon serial killer, the news anchor said. This marks victim number six in what is being called the worst spree in this state's history. I found the remote and shut it off. Okay, kiddo, time for bath, then books. I had heard enough of the full moon serial killer or FMSK for short. It was all you would hear buzzing about as you waited in line at the bagel shop or dropped the kids off at school or withdrew money at the bank. The FMSK. The M.O. remained the same. A single, one to one and a half inch pierce to the jugular where the victim would bleed out before they were able to find help. Always on the night of a full moon. It was why the town had set up the curfew on full moon nights, and cops and the neighborhood watch were posted every few blocks, but there were always a few folks that worked late and took the bus back, or had partied too hard at an after-work happy hour, or just plain forgot it was the night of a full moon. "'They were talking about the mean moon man,' said Clara, getting up from the couch.' and making her way upstairs. Uh, yes, they were, but don't worry about that. We're safe at home, and no one will hurt us here. I hated how the full-moon serial killer culture had permeated, even being discussed actively at school. Either way, Clara seemed satisfied with that, and we moved to finish the night with a bit more cartoons. Which I watched with her in bed on a tablet she always insisted on holding. I dozed off briefly in the middle of an episode, and then I thought I heard whispering. I opened my left eye and saw Clara muttering something under her breath. Are you okay, sweetheart? She stopped. Don't worry, Daddy. I'm just casting a spell oh okay i sat up and looked at the time i hope it's a good one clara smiled it's just the jello spell oh wonderful i blinked a few more times well it's getting late let's get to bed lovey i shut off the lights and checked the locks to the doors and windows as I walked back up to my bedroom, I called out softly. Good night, Clara. Good night, Daddy. And don't worry. I won't. The jello spell protects. I looked back. Just make it a good flavor, I said. Clara giggled softly. I was up early the next morning at 5.45 a.m. to get myself ready for work and pack Clara's school stuff. I put on the morning news, and again they were harping on the full moon serial killer. For the first time, they flashed a police sketch, a man with jet black hair wearing a black face mask and a gray suit jacket with an open white collar shirt and many of Detective Javier's theories, along with the murder weapon, have been confirmed. The kitchen knife. The FMSK's attire, dressing as an office worker commuting in from the city bus, and talking into his phone about business-related matters, puts the victim on low alert and allows the attack of opportunity. A single stab wound in the neck from a kitchen knife. A single stab wound in the- I wanted to cover my eyes because I couldn't look away from the face. I was entranced. In the dark eyes of the police sketch, there was hatred, and I could envision the rest of his expression behind the mask, sneering in disgust. And once again, the victim, Aaron Carson, originally thought deceased, is no longer in critical condition. THE FIRST MISS BY THE FULL MOON SERIAL KILLER The segment cut to the FMSK lead detective. A local man named Javier Dauchez, who was at a podium speaking to the public, but I was fed up and shut the television off with a deep sigh. They were talking about the mean moon man again. Clara had once again scared the shit out of me, always an early riser, and like a ninja with her padded rainbow leopard onesie. Mean Moon Man. For her, it was MMM. Never mind that, I said, fumbling around with her lunchbox. Can we go to the forest park? Look, Daddy, I'm dressed for school, hair combed and all. Sure, sweetheart. After we ate, we exited our townhome into the cool, crisp morning, skipping across the sports complex, and trudged uphill through the forest path to get us into the forest park. It was so early that the sun was just rising, and most of the surrounding suburban homes still had their lights off. As soon as we reached the clearing, Clara dashed ahead. There was a low mist a few inches high off the ground. Look, Daddy! The moon! She was right. It was one of those morning moons that showed fiercely in the twilight, eerily visible given it was still full from the night before. And of course, there I was, thinking about the full moon serial killer once again. F.M.S.K. Or MMM. Whatever but I had spooked myself and panned across the surrounding tree lines before stepping further into the clearing. Clara twirled several times with her arms elegantly keeping her balanced as she cackled up at the moon. As she maintained her continuous twirl, the mist around her feet started to quiver and swirl, exposing rustling clover flowers and it was almost as if the morning dewdrops were vibrating and levitating off the blades of grass. The mist suddenly held still, and the dew twinkled like diamonds frozen in the air. I shook my head and had to do a double-take, but the visage remained. Daddy, come here. I want to tell you something. She had stopped twirling, and all at once came back to normal, the low mist even thicker than before. I shivered. Something was not right. Sure thing. What's up, kiddo? I don't want you to be scared. Oh, sweetheart, I'm not scared. Are... Are you... I looked back over my shoulder at the path. Nothing but mist. No, she said. I'm not scared. Okay, good. I took Clara's hand. Now let's get you to school before... I was about to turn back to the path, but that's when I saw the fully-suited, masked man charging at a full sprint from the opposite tree line, having already closed a third of the distance to us, his arms violently pumping with each stride. In his hand he was holding a blade, glimmering and slicing through the mist. Oh, shit. Run that way, said Clara, pointing to our right. I was in such disbelief that my animal brain listened. Flight. I grabbed Clara and ran in the direction she had pointed. And as we got closer to the path entrance, we saw a biker coming down toward us. Help! I shouted, not looking back. The need to just get away from the mean moon man, the most urgent plan of action. MMM. The biker stopped and looked up at us, then peered over my shoulder and panicked. His hands shot up to his fanny pack. He missed the zipper on the first go, then he got it open and pulled out his cell phone. And in the half second he had to unlock it with his thumbprint, he glanced up again over my shoulder and fumbled the phone with a yelp. I turned, and the FMSK had closed the distance to only 30 paces, and he was so close I could hear the blade swiping his eyes focused and burning with hate, his breathing heavy and animalistic. I ran past the cyclist and yelled, Come on! But he finally had a grip on his phone and had called 911. His opposite hand had pulled out a small can of pepper spray. Stay away! screamed the biker in a shrill voice. At the same time, from the nearest home, a man wearing his morning robe had come out of his backyard sliding door. Holy hell! the robed man exclaimed, before grabbing a bat that had been leaning against the porch. Only then did the full moon serial killer appear deterred. Without breaking stride, he growled, Fuck! and seamlessly changed course. Vaulting over the fence nearest to him, into a neighboring yard, where we lost sight of him amongst the bushes. The cyclist was now talking to the police, and the robe man asked if we were okay, his bat half-cocked and scanning the path. I just held Clara tight, with white, shaking knuckles. "'I told you not to be afraid,' she whispered. We embraced." my eyes never leaving the trees until the cops arrived. Even in the cop car, I envisioned that lunatic vaulting a guardrail and smashing through the window with his inhuman speed. Only in the precinct, with the detectives, where I first met Javier Dauchez, did I feel safe. We were back home by late afternoon, and Clara was taking an early bath. I was emotionally exhausted. Detective Javier and the police were downstairs in the living room, finalizing security arrangements. Clara was blowing bubbles, and they gently rose to the bathroom ceiling as I prepared her towels. Okay, Clara. Just a few more minutes, then you can watch cartoons before bed. Okay, Daddy. I paused she seemed totally fine since the incident at the park it had been me that couldn't stop shaking clara turned to me blowing a new bubble with slower breath that built into a small sphere she seemed to be carefully considering something he's running out of time i thought initially she was just playing with her bath toys When the moon starts to rise and it's not full, he'll be out of time. Her words felt icy, and I felt the urge to shiver, to shake off what she had just said. No, don't say that, I said. The bubble she was blowing had grown to the size of a softball, and had still not popped or left the plastic blower. Sorry she said. No, no, it's okay. Everyone is just tired. I tried to smile, but it felt like a grimace. We're safe now. Here, at home, I added, though I think I said it because I needed to hear it. Yeah, Daddy, we're safe, she said, then added her little laugh. (laughs) <laughs> My smile relaxed. Five more minutes, kiddo. As I exited the bathroom, I took a peek in the mirror and saw the bubble had grown to the size of a soccer ball, and I shook away the feeling that it was starting to develop a face. I put Clara in front of the TV upstairs and looked out of the window to the sports complex. Not a single soul was out there, except for a few police cars and some plainclothes officers Javier indicated would be patrolling the area by foot. I peered down and envisioned the sneering killer scaling the wall and brought myself some comfort in seeing nothing of the sort, and also concluding there was no way to grip the siding. Clara's words rang in my head. When the moon starts to rise and it's not full, he will be out of time. I glanced at my phone. 27 minutes until sunset. The moon would not be out in the sky quite yet, but technically, wouldn't it be considered rising at sunset? And the last attack happened during the day with apparent urgency. Detective Javier had asked me to talk things over, and we sat in the living room, silent at first, as he knew I had been through a lot, recounting our story over several hours. His voice had a practiced reassurance from talking to countless victims, and he had a slight French accent that calmed me down. Was he tapping into my childhood Pink Panther days? What I'm about to tell you breaks decades-long professionalism, something I would never do with a member of the public, he said gravely. But it feels necessary for me to tell you. I feel compelled. I nodded. Interesting word choice. The full moon serial killer's police sketch, and then his actual masked face, compelled itself into my brain every waking moment, a constant reminder of the rage. The last victim, and the one that is still in recovery at the hospital, Aaron Carson. His R's rolled in his throat. Yeah, I said. Aaron Carson, the sixth victim that the FMSK had botched. He's probably on the news now, or soon it will be, but last night, before he attacked you, there was another attempt on Mr. Carson's life. Wait, he broke into the hospital? I was shocked. Javier nodded seriously, checking his watch briefly. Was he tracking Sunset as well? I shifted my weight uncomfortably and leaned in closer, staring uneasily at the front door. The attempt was ultimately unsuccessful, as the ICU is behind a steel door supported by a steel frame, he continued. But what bothers me is that the FMSK got in completely undetected, until he got to that last door, and then... The madman actually almost broke it down. I gulped. He's running out of time. I checked my phone, and Javier's eyes followed mine, 22 minutes until sunset. Steel frame. Not even two men with battering rams could have bent the door to what it was in that amount of time. Javier rubbed his eyes. And his voice grew even more somber. I spent three hours last night reviewing hospital camera footage with our department video experts. There were several anomalies in the footage. Various corridor shots become suddenly distorted and the distortion moves and follows a path. Javier took out his phone. Then these and again I apologize, but I am compelled to show this. There was that word again compelled. He swiped open an app, and I saw the hospital door to the victim's recovery ward, thick and surrounded by the steel frame. And then the visual distortion kicked in, the screen buzzing and bending, like how they used to block pay per view channels before you paid. Then, I heard the bangs, rhythmic and grainy from the distortion, but powerful and loud. Occasionally, the distortion would break on the borders of the video, and I saw the steel frame bend further and further, but only an inch at a time. And then, after repeated attempts, the dark, distorted voice kicked in, thick with spite Shit. 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 Javier swiped it away as if he couldn't bear it any longer. He stopped when security caught on that something was happening, and the distortion trail goes back out to where it came from. Eighteen minutes until sundown. Now. You would think it ends there, but it doesn't. Javier swiped his phone a few more times. We were able to get doorbell camera footage from a house across the street from the backside of the hospital. Look. The view showed the hospital in the background and an active street in the foreground. It took me a few seconds and Javier's guiding finger to see it. Right next to a tree in the background, facing the hospital back door, was a suited figure. He was suspended at least two feet in the air, quivering and twitching, arms stretched out into a T. An optical illusion, you are thinking, said Javier. Poor video quality. No. I said. Fifteen minutes to sundown. He's running out of time. The hovering figure suddenly stopped moving, then waved his arms once as if wiping a blackboard, and the video distorted. The timing of that, exactly right when the hospital distortion started, I stared blankly at the jagged bends. Now, here is the kicker and why I have told you all of this, Javier said. His eyes suddenly twinkled, and he began to slowly smile. I fidgeted some more, and there I was once again, compelled to look at the front door, and then up the stairs where Clara was watching TV and I had hoped we could make it out of this alive. Why was I even thinking that way? The video experts that helped me with this review mentioned they had not seen such a perplexing set of footage since a particular mall incident. That got my attention. A mall incident where the head of security asked the police force to help trace how a child could go missing for a full 22 minutes and then reappear from behind her father. Javier stared at me with fire in his eyes. Do you know the conclusion of that mall footage review? I shook my head and noticed how heavily I began to breathe. Javier simply smiled. The conclusion was that it was an impossibility. No amount of sneaking and jumping behind garage cans and adult legs can explain it. Javier's expression warmed. They would never put it in a report. Their report said inconclusive. But their own words were that it might as well have been magic. I involuntarily gasped. I... I started, but then I stopped myself. It's a lot to take in, I agree, said Javier, glancing again at his watch. And I've seen things in the last 24 hours that would challenge everything I have ever believed in. But it explains a lot. How there is never any footage of the full moon serial killer. How there is never a sign of struggle. Have you ever seen a knife attack? I shook my head. Eleven minutes. A new moon for the mean moon man was coming. Never one stab. Never. Always multiple stabs and slashes. No one has that kind of precision or luck. I felt a panic coming on. No one. Ten minutes. I feel you are in grave danger. He's running out of time. We both suddenly became acutely aware of the front door, as if a giant magnet had turned on, and we were transfixed. No, compelled to look. Javier's walkie-talkie came alive all at once. The illusion of safety was shredded away by a distorted scream. Front door breach! Front door breach! In that moment, I watched the full-moon serial killer burst through the front door. A single kick to the bolt lock shattering the wooden frame, a shot that channeled all the power of his approach, which the officers would later describe as superhuman, and, quote, he just appeared in front of us at full speed. The door flew through the hall, and down came the masked killer, eyes raging, Just as both Javier and I started to stand, the killer's black mask turned transparent, exposing a snickering sneer as he bellowed a furious roar that shot Javier off his feet and flying into the glass sliding door behind us. The glass cracked loudly and Javier doubled over in pain. The Full Moon Serial Killer looked at me with disgust and contempt, wait, there was something else in that look, confusion, the jello spell, it protects. The Full Moon Serial Killer moved forward and at once I braced for his impact. Processing the kitchen knife tucked into his forearm, and his mask had turned back to black. I never stood a chance. The full moon serial killer faked a hurdle toward me, then immediately pivoted up the stairs, racing three steps at a time, showing his true intended target. I screamed and shot forward, the police just starting to come in. Detective Javier still getting up from the shattered glass, and I started running up the stairs, knowing I was too late. I heard a terrible howl, and the house shook from the weight of an incredible fall. I ascended the stairs as fast as I clumsily could, tears streaming down my face at the thought of my ravaged girl. The screams intensified and it sounded like a ravenous, starving animal finally satiating a long hunger. When I finally got to the landing, there, lying flat on his back, thrashing wildly, was the full moon serial killer, with the knife protruding from in between his ribs, blood splurting with each convulsion. All four of his appendages were moving involuntarily in sick, painful spasms. Clara was calmly watching cartoons, occasionally glancing to the side at the howling, mean moon man. I jumped over MMM, his face enraged at his helplessness. His screams turned to shouted growls, as he futilely attempted to claw at me. I grabbed Clara and put myself between her and the killer, pressing back against the window on the far wall. The officers were upon us, and they encircled the full-moon serial killer, guns pointing down as he continued to thrash uncontrollably, the knife still lodged in his ribs. Detective Javier had made his way up as well, and dove onto the killer, grabbing both of his hands by the wrist, pinning him in place. Clara had been sneaking peeks despite my upheld hand, and I moved to cover her more from the grisly scene. When I embraced her, further blocking her vision with my hand, she turned to me, gazing with her soft hazel eyes. I thought I saw them swirling. See, Daddy? I told you the Jell-O spell would protect us. Jell-O spell? Clara giggled when I embraced her, further blocking her vision with my hand. She turned to me, gazing with her soft hazel eyes. I thought I saw them swirling. See, Daddy? I told you the Jello spell would protect us. Jello spell, Clara giggled, and I could feel his gaze go through me and directly to Clara. And the birds were also watching, Clara said as she focused back to the cartoons. So, we were protected. I... what birds... Clara pointed over her shoulder, out the window to the sports complex, eyes still glued to the television. I pushed aside the shades and gasped. The entire complex was covered in birds of all types, perched atop wires, bleachers, and goalposts. Not one of them made any movement or sound. It was the stillness that horrified me more than anything. The full-moon serial killer began to froth red at the mouth, and his convulsions turned stiffer. Then, in the far soccer field, I saw La Nona. Her skin was like ash, and her eyes were sunken. She was hunched over with a peculiar smile that seemed to beckon me. My hands went to my face. She started to move her blackened lips. And one blink later, she was gone. I heard three distinct gusts of air in the distance. Or were they laughs? and felt tears fall down my cheeks. The full-moon serial killer's movement stopped, and I caught one last glimpse of his contorted face, his mask pulled down by a wild swing of his clawed hands. The expression can only be described as unadulterated anger. I felt Clara hug me tighter, and rub my back softly. Lenona says hi, she whispered. My eyes shot one more time out the window, expecting to see her corpse once more, bellowing at my disbelief. But there were only the birds. As if on cue, they began to dissipate from their perches in a silent, gentle rolling wave that caressed the purple sunset. The night was about to begin, and the mean moon man had run out of time. He stiffened at last, his appendages a tangled mess caked in strawberry blood. Lenona died three years ago, I said softly. Clara was unfazed. Hmm, <coughs> hmm, hmm. Man, imagine getting whooped by a little girl like that. You would be the laughing stock of the serial killer community. Maybe FMSK is better off dead at this point, huh? Anyway, I always love a story that makes you wonder who the villains truly are. Shout out once again to the author, Bince 82 I'll leave links to connect with them in the show notes, as well as a link to check out another episode that featured his story, though there are more than one. Until next time, dear listener, this is your host, Dan David, Reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.